Welcome to the Spoiler Log and a link to the past Randomizer podcast. I'm your host, Dante, and today's guest is going to be maniacal. As you can see here on the time codes, it's very, very long. I am sorry, but I'm not sorry. This was a great conversation with maniacal. I honestly didn't feel like it was as long as it was while we were having it. Uh, it just kept flowing and I didn't want to cut anything off. Even in editing, I was like, maybe there's some extra I can cut, but listening back, everything was just so good. Uh, I, I didn't want to cut any of his thoughts out. So I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys stick around for this episode. I know it's a bit long. Let's go ahead and jump right in. On today's episode of the Spoiler Log, we've got Maniacal. Maniacal, how you doing, man? Yo, Danny, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing great, actually. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to have a conversation with you. Yeah, man. How are I'm, you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I, I just got back from vacation earlier this week and uh, was looking to find uh, an awesome person to talk to, and I'm, I'm glad you were here to do it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I guess let's let's start this out like we do for some of these. Um, tell me a little bit about your gaming history. Like growing up, were you a big gamer, uh, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing all sorts of gaming basically as long as I can remember. Um, starting off from when I was you know a young child, I can remember like my father bringing home a, a Game Boy handheld system, an original Game Boy, and getting a, a Nintendo Entertainment System, the old 8-bit one, that I still actually use the same unit. Um, oh, wow. Like, as, as a child and kind of coming up. And, and most of, you know, my nostalgia is for, of course, the, the Super Nintendo System and then mm -hmm. the Nintendo 64 um, that were sort of the systems of my youth and, and that carried me sort of into, I'd say, high school, roughly. And so that's kind of... You know where everything started out. It's been it's been a lifelong thing, but uh, you know not just video games. I've I've done a bunch of other gaming things, whether it's you know, I guess dance video games, which I know you know. Oh yeah. And um, <laughs> then you know card games like Magic: The Gathering. I've I've kept up with and some PC gaming. So it's it's kind of been a little all over. But really, since 2016, I've I've really enjoyed what I've been seeing with Twitch. And, and streaming and have come around to really, as my life circumstances have changed and my job has made it so that, you know, traveling to go to a card tournament for an entire weekend isn't as much of a tenable thing. Yeah. Um, you know, streaming and randomizer especially has really done a, a cool job of, of taking up those spaces. So, you know, there's a ton I could get more in the weeds about, but that's sort of the very high level overview. Gotcha. I was about to say, like, you just you covered everything. So that was that's a new record, like three minutes. We'll we'll call it an episode. Yeah, we're, uh, we're done. Just <laughs> shut it down. No, so I guess you mentioned like Game Boy SNES and NES, mm -hmm. all of those. So were you like growing up, were you primarily Nintendo or, you know, did did you just kind of were those the ones that like left the most impression on you, I guess? Yeah. So I've always kind of been a bit of a Nintendo homer. Um really liked, you know, the Mario games. It's, it's sort of what I had. And I mean, I guess the, you know, Sega Genesis as a primary competitor didn't come out. I, I remember we had an Atari. Uh, that really wasn't my thing. I remember playing it as a kid a little bit. But yeah. um, I've really, you know, mainline Nintendo consoles, I've I've really kind of kept up with. I, I skipped the Wii U, which I think a lot of people did. Um, <laughs> I kind of wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but otherwise, I've, I've really, you know, kept up with Nintendo over the years. Did have a, a Sega Genesis, had like the Sonic games and some of the other stuff. But the Nintendo and their titles have always kind of had, I'd say, the majority share of my interest. And gotcha. so, you know, I really like uh, Metroid games, uh, Mario games, Zelda games, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and yeah. Nintendo's kind of always had those, so. I figured you'd say Metroid, uh, and yeah. <laughs> mainly because I think when I first, you know, met you online, so to speak, it was uh, about SMZ3, and I think I think Solsky was the one who, like, like told us to, to talk because you would play dance games, and I was like, oh, that's okay. kind of interesting. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but with, uh, so Metroid was a big part, I'm assuming, of, of your childhood as far as gaming or was that, was that the game that left like the most impression on you? So I remember as a child, uh, super Metroid, especially I, I, I remember Metroid. I, I think I bought a copy for like $5 with some allowance at one point from like a secondhand store downtown sort of thing. Right. Um, used some allowance on Metroid. Metroid wasn't frankly that good of a game. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I can appreciate it and I appreciate what it did. It, it's not that great. Um, super Metroid really did, you know, move things in a very positive direction. And I remember when Super Metroid came out, it was, you know, I have multiple siblings. And so there was always a, a constant, uh, you know, vying for time on, on the Super Nintendo console. And my sure. parents also uh, were really enjoying Super Metroid. And so I remember I, I got home one day and there, there was Super Metroid. And my parents were just hanging out on the couch playing some Super Metroid. And they were like, this game's fantastic. And my dad, you know, at some point, you know, 15 or so years ago said, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of you know done with video games, but if they ever make another super Metroid, let me know. And so like that game has always really, you know, stuck in his mind. And um, sure. it, it was a whole family activity, really super Metroid. Um, I remember, you know, he was sort of leading the charge to try and find all the items and all the secrets and everything. And so we had these hand-drawn maps on graph paper of all oh, the Super wow. Metroid that that had all of the the item locations and it was basically a, you know, a reproduction with more information of the in-game map as we would discover areas and items. I think we only ever found 98% of the things uh, collectively as a family, but I remember like when, you know, my sister would find a new item and she'd be like, is it on the map yet? <laughs> and we'd be, you know, <laughs> checking to see if like we were the first one to find some particular thing and trying yeah. to really 100% the game. So and you guys so, were like writing your own guides instead of buying them. Like you were just playing the game and like writing your own, drawing your own maps. That's that's yeah. pretty awesome. <laughs> and it was it was like a, a family activity. And so, of course, is, you know formative activities for for children that that one really kind of stuck with me is you know a game that was really central to how positively i experienced games as as a child and so when i came back to playing and revisiting a lot of the super nintendo catalog super metroid was was pretty high on the list both because it's a fantastic game and i had such good memories of it so metroid being like a huge family thing was gaming overall like a huge family activity for you guys? Like just in general, like did it just was Metroid special to you and your family or was it just every game that came out that you guys picked up was like a huge activity together? 
Only the really good games, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> okay, there's, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of really old games. Yeah, there's a, a lot of really bad Super Nintendo titles. So, like, when we got Pitfall the Mayan Adventure, we weren't <laughs> all crowded around the TV for for weeks playing Pitfall. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. I, I as a, as a child, uh, did my best to enjoy the games that we had and and had had my fun playing Pitfall. But you know, games like Donkey Kong Country. Um, Super Metroid, those are the ones that especially have have stuck out to me as ones where I remember really spending a lot of time with my family and especially just watching my my parents play the game. And they were like, nope, we we bought this like we're we're paying for this stuff and we're enjoying this. And yeah, you know, y'all y'all can play when we're done. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And so we've got the cash. So we get the console. (laughs) Yeah, we 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 put out the the 60 bucks or whatever this was brand new. And so we're taking the Super Nintendo right now and you can have it when when we're finished. (laughs) It's our turn for now. And so, of course, we all huddled around and watched to see what would be discovered and then uh, waited our turns. (laughs) Yeah, there was something, you know, I I think you and I are kind of close in age to an extent. So it's like I remember like for me, like huddling around, like watching someone play like family member, close friend, something like that was is almost almost as captivating as actually playing it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I think games now, you know, this, this could be a whole tangent, but games now don't have that same same grasp. Like we have Twitch and we can watch people play stuff like all the time. It's like you're there. But I don't know. Games just don't have that same draw in like they did, like in, in the mystery around them, because it's so handholding now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that it's the games that have changed. I, I think it's our engagement spaces that have really evolved. Right. Because mm. that was the screen. You, right. You didn't have yeah. your iPhone in your pocket and you weren't seeing, you know, the social media constant streaming of, of information and content. And so sure. there weren't there wasn't competition for what's which screen to consume. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if, I mean, it's almost like the early days of the internet, like if I was on the internet, no one was on the phone, right? There yeah. was a monopoly in terms of <laughs> what technological space or which way we were using our technological resources. And once someone was doing it, no one else was allowed to do it. And so if you wanted to be seeing a screen, you were watching someone play, you know, Final Fantasy three for an hour. Right. And huddling yeah. around. And I mean, I have a ton of great memories of huddling around CRTs with with friends or family and watching video games uh, well before Twitch or Justin TV or Speed Demos Archive or any of that. Right. But, right. You know, I, I think that it's really, you know, what has made streaming and everything accessible, I think, is kind of concomitant with how those spaces have changed shape and why the games feel so different these days. Yeah, that's that's actually, you know, a very fair point. It's, it's so easy, like, you, you heard me just do it. It's so easy to say, you know, games aren't the way they used to be anymore. It's not fun watching people play as it used to be, like, as a kid. I think part of it is the childhood wonder as well. But mm-hmm. wait, the, your, your point there is actually very, <laughs> very on, on point, I think. Uh, just because of the way our lives were, you know, 20, 30 years ago versus 2023. Like literally if, you know, I mean, I'm sitting in my office with like five monitors, like my, my whole house didn't have five screens in it when I was, you know, five, six years old. So, yeah. I mean, 
why are the shopping malls dead? I mean, it's it's all kind of part of the same evolution of our, our spaces and our engagement. Right. So playing the SNES, uh, were you, did you guys get N64 around launch or was that like something you picked up later? Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about how how gaming evolved from the Super Nintendo onto the later consoles. Yeah, so the Super Nintendo was was the last console that I got that I didn't buy with my own money. Right? Oh, okay. So the Nintendo 64, that was November 96, I want to say, roughly, was the launch. And then, like, they were all sold out everywhere Christmas 96. And I'm I'm one of those uh, fortunate or unfortunate souls who's a, a January birthday. So, like, everything kind of gets mm. lumped into the, the agglomerate holiday there. Um, yeah. And so... Birthmas... You know, yeah, uh, Birthmas <laughs> was was definitely my experience. I I was late enough in January that like usually there was some separation, but um, but yeah, Birthmas money had been accrued, and okay, so I was I was calling Toys R Us every day. Hey, do you guys have Nintendo sixty fours? <laughs> and eventually, eventually the local Toys R Us did have Nintendo sixty fours. So I'm you know. Calling my mom, mom, we got to book it. (laughs) We got to get to the Toys R Us so I can spend $300 on the Nintendo 64. (laughs) And uh, damn it, I did. That's so relatable. (laughs) Yeah. And I I still have the box of that Nintendo 64 and it still has my receipt from Toys R Us in it. Dude, that's awesome. And I I paid $299.99 plus 6% sales tax in the state of Pennsylvania. And um, I, I bought my Nintendo 64 with my Christmas and birthday money that year. And so I didn't get it right at launch. It was a few months delayed, but it was launch season in a sense. Uh, th- there were sure. still supply issues when I acquired mine. And the same thing for my Wii or my Switch or my PlayStation 2 or any any of the, you know, the consoles that I've gotten since. Um, I. I don't know if I got the GameCube right away. GameCube was kind of awkward. I was, you know, you can really triangulate on what my age is. I was, I was in high school at the time. And so there were other things occupying my, my mental space yeah, as sure. opposed to the video games. Right. We, we all age in and age out of these things. Yeah. It's like a, an ebb and flow. Yeah. So to speak. But, yeah. Nintendo 64 was, was great though. Um, I don't think it's a good system. I really don't. Um, it didn't age well. It's, like, it's I mean, got like, to be honest, it, it yeah. didn't age well. <laughs> I, I could name two, three dozen games on the Super Nintendo that are just fantastic, timeless classics that I could sit down and just play today and love. Um, I struggle to name six games on the Nintendo 64 yeah, that fit that bill. Uh, I agree. Remarkably, Mario 64 as a launch title has held up so so well among that class of games and there's a handful of other ones that are that are quite nice but i mean they all have their their quirks and their charm sure it's a quaint system i just remember playing like finding out ocarina of time rando exists and i wanted to play it and i was like this is this is going to be great and i was just like man this this game sucks like it does not (laughs) play good like and it's it's because of the the time like i was like i remember this being so good yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I had a moment like that recently with the um, it was the Metroid Prime remaster that came out recently. Oh, OK. And I, I got that on on the switch. And I remember playing Metroid Prime when it came out on on GameCube. 
And, you know, I'm excited for Metroid Prime 4. Again, I, I really like all the Metroid games. Metroid Prime games, no exception. Um, I do prefer the 2D ones, so I was really happy about Dread. But got the remaster, fired it up. And I had this moment of cognitive dissonance where I'm watching this thing on the Switch and it's just showing me graphics that are the way I remember the GameCube one looking when it came out. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm like, I know this looks better than than the title on GameCube looked, but this is how it looked in my mind at the time. Yeah, and having it, was, to, it was great then. Yeah, but like having to appreciate the the quality and, and the resolutions that we get today sort of out of the box on all of these titles to go back to some of the early 3D games, it it can be a little rough. And so I think Ocarina suffers a little bit because it's it's never what we're going to remember it as brand new in what 97 yeah. 98 and right. i you know i loved ocarina at the time i i pre-ordered it um went to toys r us got it from the game cage the day it came out oh yeah the lord of the cage handed me my thing i handed my little paper <laughs> ticket in and they brought me my my coveted game prize Man, and I haven't thought I, about those paper tickets in forever. <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of good nostalgia there. I, I apologize oh, yeah. to anyone who uh, you know isn't a, a video game boomer and doesn't is, isn't getting the same visceral response to this that I am walking down <laughs> memory lane right now. But I promise there is a a non negligible subset of uh, the Go Mode podcast audience that will be experiencing yeah. this with me. <laughs> yeah, so I guess a little context uh, of what Maniacal is talking about. So basically at Toys R Us, there was like the game aisle and then they were like these little flaps and the flap had like a printout. It looked it was just printed on a color inkjet printer of what the game art box art looked like. And then you maybe if you were lucky and it was a big title, you could flip it over and it had like the back of the box so you could see the back of the box. And then there were like this, this little envelope with like tickets and that was how many they had. So you would pick the ticket up, had a barcode, a price you'd go up front and then you pay for it, the register. And then you'd go to this sec like spot inside toys R us and hand over your ticket and your receipt. And then they would go in the back, get your game and then hand it to you. So that was the, the cage. That's the cage lore for all the zoomers that maybe. <laughs> listening to this but yeah that that man i haven't thought about that in forever that's a really good that's a good memory <laughs> yeah th there's there's something just that's heartwarming about it and i so i enjoy finding an excuse to recall those times right because childhood yeah. nostalgia is great but yeah i mean nintendo 64 was you know, I guess middle school, high school, we, me and my friends spent so much time huddled around the Nintendo 64 playing, playing co-op games or, or, um, PVP type games. I mean, a lot of gold nine, perfect art. Yeah. Um, Bomberman 64 was a mainstay in, in our circle of friends. Yeah. The, the multiplayer on Bomberman 64 is way underappreciated. For I, sure. I, th I think it's way better than most people gave it credit for a lot of, a lot of Mario Kart 64, um, you know, some amount of like chameleon twist and like they're, they're wow. Nintendo 64 yeah. had some, some out there titles, but, um, it did. You know, now the one thing it never had was Metroid and that made me sad, God. but you know, <laughs> that, and, um, I, I had a pre-order in for earthbound 64 at KB toys. Oh, yeah. I put, I put my $5 down on, on earthbound 64 and I got a refund and I was sad. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. I but, yeah. thought about KV toys in forever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is the uh, this episode is literally just nostalgia trip at this point. Yeah, the boomer nostalgia hour <laughs> with maniacal and Dante. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So so let, let me shift gears a little bit. You mentioned sure. you played Magic: The Gathering card games. Uh-huh. Now I will I will be very honest here. I know nothing about Magic, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this, and I'm gonna assume maybe you did. Because you've mentioned Toys R Us. Did you ever do Pokemon cards? And oh, yeah. if so, did you do the Pokemon League stuff that was mm-hmm. at Toys R Us? Oh, dude. Oh. Did so you ever, I, were you like religious like me and going like every week for a while in that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I went every week um, through the release of the base set. Of, so it, look, I'll, I'll take a step back real quick. Sorry. Magic, okay, sure. I, I played, you know, 1993, 94 until basically 97. And then like Pokemon came out and that was that was the new thing. Right. So I was playing the Pokemon TCG and I, I already had like some amount of legitimate magic chops. And I was, you know, like a 12 year old, 13 year old kid at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was the right age for Pokemon but I was way better at card games than most of the Pokemon players who were coming in because they'd played the video games and right. You know, so I was just crushing it at Pokemon. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was crushing. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me and uh, a couple of my buddies who'd been playing magic for numerous years were just like crushing it at the Pokemon league. And so we had, we had a local comic shop that we'd go to that was, that ran the league and I, I would go every week and, you know, play in tournaments and, and work on brewing decks. And I had a few different decks and I, I think I may still have some of the cards kicking around, but, um, but yeah, I, I did a good amount of the early Pokemon league, basically the base set. Uh, I think then it was jungle and then fossil and then team rocket right. was the fourth expansion. And right around the release of team rocket, I think is about when I stopped playing. So yeah, probably was, a year I, or so. I think when I started to exit to, yeah. uh, because at that point, you know, if you I'm assuming your experience may be similar to mine. It's like, you know, about the Japanese stuff that's like way ahead of us. And then like you you get a few of those from like eBay or some friends that have them at the Pokemon League you trade. And then when you find out they're coming to America, it's kind of like, all right, well, I know what's <laughs> happening. It's not, it's not exciting anymore. It's like getting spoilers almost for a movie. Yeah. So your experience was actually pretty different from mine. Uh, okay. My, mine was that I just found a different hobby into which to put my time and efforts. Um, one okay. of the things that was going on at that comic shop that I would go to and, and hang out at and play games at was that people were really getting into a tabletop miniature game um, from from Games Workshop um, that was based off of, of Warhammer, but it was like a smaller version of Warhammer. It was supported for like a year or so called Mordheim. And it was a warband based campaign game. And so you had your team of people that had starting costs and you'd play week in and week out. And like some of them would die forever. It was like an, an eternal game and you'd hire new right, right. people and you had to buy and paint these miniatures real fast to like have your army ready to go for the week. And wow, that that took, you know, all of the money and time and bandwidth that Pokemon had occupied. And it was just so it was a natural evolution of, you know interests as a child that I just set the Pokemon cards down or, you know, traded the Charizards in for what I could get in terms of Warhammer sure. miniatures and, 
yeah, it was just kind of rolled one thing into the next. Um, thankfully, I, I kept most of the Super Nintendo stuff, and so I, I never never mm-hmm. sold all that that stuff off. So I, I have all my old video game stuff, but the card game stuff that that kind of came and went. Gotcha. So so tabletop games mm-hmm. like is that is that something that you still maybe do today? Like, are you are you a board game guy or I, or did that <laughs> kind of become a hobby that passed on as well? Yeah. So I, I do I do board games. Um, I, I like a lot of the newer sort of more cerebral wave of, of games that are coming out. Um, you know, to use I guess some of the board game lexicon that maybe is a little dated at this point. Uh, the, the Euro game style games uh, for mm-hmm. board games, but I'd class them really differently from from tabletop games like your uh, your Warhammer Warhammer Forty K or any any of those sorts of very miniature centric and, and sort of army centric games. Gotcha. But, okay. But I, I do like the board games. The, the big difference about the board games is you buy that box and you're, you're done. Uh, Pokemon magic, yeah. like there's always the next pack to buy. And a lot of the board games come out with expansions and stuff, but you know, it's, it's not nearly the same. Your, your, your board game doesn't expire or doesn't age out or become obsolete. No right, longer right. competitive. Right. Because you open it up and then you have all the parts for you and your friends to all play. Whereas something yeah, like I, a I tabletop the game, <laughs> yeah, the tabletop games, like you need to bring your army and then your friend has been curating their own army and like they have to bring it too. And so that was another one of the challenges for me with tabletop games. I think it was a little more short lived was you got to have a buddy who also wants to spend $400 on pieces of plastic oh, Wow! in order to play. Like it, it, they are not cheap. The, the, some of the single figurines at the time were like 40, 50 bucks, which is a lot for oh, yeah. a, a hunk of plastic and pewter. <laughs> so, so help me out here. Uh, these, these like figures. So to, to build your army, do, do like, are there different ones that have like different stats or is that, mm-hmm. is it just kind of like, so is it all based off of the character that you buy? Like are, are stronger characters more expensive? Is that how this works? Um, so, there's an economy, right? So all the games had point systems and everyone would agree to bring like a thousand points worth of, of pieces of plastic to the table. And okay. so maybe, you know, one of the pieces that nominally cost $30 was actually, you know, a 200 point piece of plastic. And some gotcha. of the like little three or $4 guys, maybe they were like 12 to 20 points, but they also had worse stats. And so it was about putting together and exploiting synergies to try to assemble a team Mm-hmm. Uh, that that could compete within some sort of budgetary constraint, whether it be your finances or or nominally the number of points that were set for whatever the match you were going to play was. Right. It's like and teams having like a salary cap in sports or something. So it's, you have it's a, exactly a, a analogous. Yeah. Yeah. Or or I mean, you know makes daily fantasy and having like a a cap to how many how much you can spend on your team or whatever. It's the same idea. Yeah. It, it just much slower. <laughs> so what I'm gathering is like you really even like growing up, you enjoy things that work your brain, like not only your wallet, but your brain. So like you have to think things through uh, and like like b- strategize, build like build like an army in, in this you know Warhammer game. So yeah. is that am I correct in assuming that? It's certainly not incorrect. Um, I, I definitely have tended toward 
games that allow me to challenge myself mentally and force me to think, which is why some of the newer board games, like, I mean, growing up, you'd play like a game of life. And how many decisions do you make in a game of in, a, in the board game life? Right. Like you, sp- you spin the wheel <laughs> and you decide like whether you want to like go to college and whether you want to purchase fire insurance or something. And everything else is just like spin the wheel and see what happens to your car full of kids. And like yeah. at the end of it, everyone's tired. Everyone's miserable, like because you're not making active gameplay decisions. Um, mm-hmm. So games that allow the players to make meaningful decisions from start to finish are things that really have you know, attracted me to games. And I, I think that's part of what I, to bring it back to randomizer, um, keeps me playing a link to the past randomizer is, you know, you start off and maybe there's some prescriptive actions that you're going to take. Like you're almost always going to end up in Kakariko village. Right. Sure. But you know, there's real tension of like how much of the Eastern region do I want to do? How early do I want to do it? Right. Things like that, where there's all these processes, this sort of, uh, give and take or push and pull of, of these different decisions you can make and being, you know, in situ sort of within the game and making those decisions real time and weighing all those different choices. Those are the things that, that keep me engaged with, with games. And so that's, I think that's why randomizer has stuck with me over, over the years, whether I've been playing, Mm -hmm. you know, a link to the past rando or, SMZ3 that you brought up or the Super Metroid randomizer. I, I like games that give me different conditions under which I have to make decisions and then task me with making the best decision that I'm capable of making. Yeah. So before we go down the the trail of randomizer, because that, you know, for everyone that we talk to on, on this show, it, it's deep. Uh, <laughs> Dance games. You mentioned that, and I knew that coming into this that you you play those. I don't know how often you play now, but I know you have. Um, when did you find that, and what what drew you in really to to that? Because to me, initially, when I started playing dance games, there was not much mentality going into it. It was just music and movement. Uh, you know, when I started getting good, it was like overthinking things and then analyzing things a little more. Um, so, so how, how did you find that? Yeah. So the exact time and and date of finding dance games and especially dance, dance revolution, which was the only dance game back when I started playing, um, Mm -hmm. at least of which I was aware, um, was sometime over a summer. And one of, one of my high school friends basically said, I have this thing you need to try. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that could have gone many different ways, but it went to <laughs> Dance Dance Revolution. Especially. Yeah, <laughs> it went to Dance Dance Revolution. And I, I think f- for the better. Um, so we had that plastic mat <laughs> that like oh, yeah. lasted for like five hours of use before dying and taped it to a piece <laughs> of plywood. And, and we uh, you know, stomped our hearts out to it. And I was just like, you know, it's it's really it's fun. And I'm, I'm getting some exercise and. I'm enjoying the music and it's, it's kind of quirky. I'm having a good time with it. It's good exercise. And so I'll say, you know, there was a, an arcade at the local mall. And so I, I knew they had a dance dance revolution machine. I, I worked across from that arcade at a movie theater. And so after I would get off shift, I would just go over and plug a few quarters in and, and play some DDR. Sure. And it just kind of, 
kept kept with me. Um, you know, I don't know if you had this phenomenon when you started playing dance games, but starting out, you know, it, it really sears itself into your brain, or at least it did for me, where like I'd be going to sleep at <laughs> yeah. night and I would see scrolling arrows and like that doesn't happen anymore. Thank but, God it doesn't happen anymore, yeah, but I, I'm really glad it doesn't happen to me. So. Yeah, I, I think it happens to everyone where like those games get their their hooks in you. Like, I think it just for whatever reason, the way those games engage our brains, um, that there's this phenomenon like you close your eyes and you just see these arrows going. And so like it had its hooks in and I, I had to stomp more arrows. And oh, yeah. so I, I started off like failing the twos and the threes. And eventually I got up to the point where. You know, at the time, um, the the metric was how many nine footers you had passed was the oh, yeah. ra- it was the hardest rating at the time, and they right. were catastrophic or whatever it was called or whatever the rating yeah, for yeah. the hardest songs was, and so then then the challenge became trying to pass as many of those as possible, and it actually it's around then that through um, you know the ddrfreak.com forums. Oh my that God, I, that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah, right. I met some some other local players who who would be out and playing at the the arcade and just saying, hey, we go like these nights to play. And uh, lo and behold, one such person whom I met in that way um, is, is none, none other than uh, ALTTPR player Ninjembro. Okay. And so, so uh, I, I met him playing some DDR at the mall. And obviously, uh, you know, we, we've kept in touch over the years and realized that we had more than DDR to kind of chat about. But, um, sure. you know, getting pulled into that community, um, sticking with it, went to college. There was, you know, a, a club of people that were playing these games, creating files for them, you know, challenging themselves to do, you know, custom things. And I, I found it very engaging. And then, you know, In the Groove came out and that had more Western style music, longer songs was based on an open um, sort of platform step mania that you could build mm-hmm. and create your own songs in. And, you know, I, I found that whole creative space really fascinating. And then the ways in which people were pushing the game very challenging and, and engaging. And I, I imagine that it must have stuck similarly for you, given that I know you still play. Yeah. It, it, it very much so we won't, I'm not going to drone on about my story, but the whole the, very relatable, the whole like first couple weeks of playing, like going to sleep or trying to go to sleep and then just like seeing the arrows. And I'm not sure if it was the game or if it was just the crazy background videos that DDR had at the time that were like, Oh yeah. It was almost like some of those hypnotizing messages or something, you know, <laughs> that try to like, convince you to <laughs> I don't know like join an army or something I don't know but um they, they uh, definitely the same experience there uh I was like I was just super like uh I don't know anybody and there's a lot of people who play here who are good so uh with with you saying nines were the highest you got in it sounds like at a really older mix yeah uh and see I didn't get in until like 2004 so DDR yeah. Extreme was already out yeah, um, it was 2001-ish, probably. Okay. I, I wow. think the we we had the USA mix cabinet and then also a, a third mix oh, Korean man. version two were, were the okay. local cabinets. And those oh, got man. replaced by Max and Max 2 eventually. Okay. Yeah. Like that that, that that's was a good upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty strong upgrade. Yeah. I, I missed out on like fourth and fifth mix, but we got Max 2, we got Extreme. 
and um, you know, and then, then, and then you got in the groove. Then we uh, got I in guess. the groove too, and um, that that's actually that's the cabinet that I play on now. Is I, I, I use an in the groove two dedicated cabinet, and that's that's right. my my piece of home hardware now that I really like to play on. So I I keep up with it and. I didn't play today, but I, I was thinking about it. <laughs> thinking about it. So, yeah, so I, uh, let me ask this. Uh, what, is owning an arcade machine, like I'm assuming that's the only arcade machine you've ever owned. Yes. Is it everything it sounds like cracked up to be? Like when you get it and then you have to learn how everything works. Uh, <sighs> so many, <laughs> so many dollars of maintenance and getting it set the way I want, right? But... Yeah. So story about when and why I bought this thing was um, right around, you know, I've been looking at getting a cabinet and wanted one for many, many years. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'd been renting. And so I hadn't bought a house. And so I didn't have a space that I could reasonably store an arcade cabinet. So I bought a house and I immediately started looking for, you know, passively, are these cabinets out there on the market? And, you know, for those who don't know, they're, there was a finite number of in the groove dedicated cabinets produced. Yes. And they're generally fairly well regarded as, as good pieces of hardware. And so they aren't heavily available on the market. Right. So like sometimes you just got to wait and none are on sale. Like no one's getting rid of theirs, but um, I, I got pretty lucky right around March, 2020, something happened where a lot of arcades were closing their doors for a little while and yeah. some people who were storing extra cabinets sort of with um, um, like a God price share. I, I'm not coming up with the word, but, you know, generating right. revenue by putting their their cabinet at an arcade. Um, we're pulling their cabinets back out of arcades and saying, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just sell the cabinet for now and, and generate some funds. And so I I picked up one at the very start of covid. And so it became kind of my my locked at home covid project to um, sure get 15 years of arcade grime cleaned out of this thing. And, <laughs> because and arcades never clean them unless they're broke. <laughs> oh my God. I, I pulled like, I think half a Starbucks drink out of one of one of them. Like it was, <laughs> oh God. Th- there was some raunchy stuff going on, like bobby pins and straw. Like, I don't even know what was going on in this arcade, but, yeah. um, but this it, is it was clear relatable. that there was, some, yeah, there was some use on this thing. There was 15 years of it. And I mean, they, these were designed to be stomped on by people for as long as people would want to stomp on them. So, you know, I've, I've done a lot of maintenance, but yeah, it's, it's all it's cracked up to be, honestly. Okay. I, you know, there's not a good dance game cabinet in the place that I'm presently living that is accessible. I would have to drive quite some distance to go play on one that mm-hmm. would be of good quality. And instead, I just have this thing at home that I can fire up and use to exercise or play or do whatever I want really. And, um, I can put whatever software is on it. I want load songs, do, you know, all the things that, you know, you can do with these cabinets. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you could pretty much like with yeah. step mania, the open mm-hmm. source thing, just to kind of give a broad view is like, you know, you can literally take an MP3 file or, you know, an audio file of anything like you could make it of us talking if we wanted to and then add arrows to it and then try and sync that up. And that's yeah. that's like how open it can be. Yeah, it'll do whatever you need it to do, really. Yeah. <laughs> but so um, I want to ask and you can tell me you can tell me no if you don't feel comfortable with this. But 
can you tell me what you paid for your in the groove two? And there's a reason I'm, I'll, I'll say to everyone listening why I'm asking that. If you, if you will answer that. <laughs> so my, I'll, I'll go a little further than that. So the price point that I was targeting was about five to 6,000 and that's what I wanted yeah, to buy at. Okay. That's what I thought I would have to pay at that time. Right. That was the pre COVID market. Mm-hmm. I got home from work one day and I was looking at, you know, the relevant Facebook group for buying and selling arcade cabinets. Yep. And someone listed one for 3,500. Oh, wow. And that's a good deal. <laughs> and I saw it was posted two minutes ago. And so I messaged that person. I was like, I'm, I want this, like mm-hmm. I'll fig- we'll figure it out. I'm buying this. And I think shipping all said and done, like, you know, I, probably was into it about 4,200 by the time the all, That's not all bad. yeah, it, it was a very good deal at the time, but I, it was one of those, it was well below market, the listing on it. I, I still don't really understand why that happened that way. Uh, yeah. but, but literally I called my partner minutes later. I was like, Hey, sorry, pretty sure I just bought that cabinet. I was talking about buying because it was like $2,000 cheaper than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And what's crazy is like you said, you got it in 2020, like these things came out in 2005. Yeah. So the computer hardware and like the monitor, it's a big CRT tube, like at face value, they're probably worth a thousand dollars in today's world, but because they're rare and there's like people who will pay it, you know, it's not like just picking up some used SNES on eBay. Like these are like the holy grail for a lot of folks. Um, so like I, I remember buying one from a local arcade when they were getting rid of theirs and they they called me and was like, hey, do you want to get this? Because I've been playing on it forever and mm-hmm. I bought it and flipped it and made like a massive profit. I think I paid thirty five and sold it for seven. Yeah, but. I invested some extra time into like repainting some of the pads. Like I had them powder coated. So I spent money doing that. Sure. I didn't keep like a full list, but it's, it's really insane what people will pay. And I mean, I know there's like tons of niche hobbies, like card games, for example, Mm. people will pay tons of money for these rare cards, but it always blows my mind when, when someone, when people start talking to me about in the groove, like dead cabs and the pricing, but I'm glad you got one, especially at like a deal too, because that that's always a plus. I mean, it, it had been, like you said, my, my holy grail hardware for a long while. And if I didn't get one in that cycle, I was probably going to go with one of the Step Maniacs cabinet setups mm-hmm. that are right around eight, I think, is about what they were going for at the time. Yeah, brand new. That's that's yeah. what they were uh, for yeah. a while. I think you'd have been happy with that. But uh, oh, yeah, but I think I think you're happier because you yes. got what you want. And that's yeah. that's what's important. Yeah. And I mean, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. And I'm elated. I mean, it's, it's found it's, you know, forever home in that regard. <laughs> oh yeah. It's got right, the original so, CRT and it's, it's still oh, kicking. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So like, man, hearing that in the group, some in the groove cabs still have the original like 32 or 34 inch CRT. Those things are huge. Yeah. The flat um, screen Cortex, whatever it yeah. is. Oh yeah. dude, <laughs> those things weigh so much. I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not excited for the day that it finally does give up the ghost. It's, it's, it's coming as, as all CRTs uh, will meet the same fate, but for now it's exactly yeah. what I wanted it to be. <laughs> sure. So let's, let's tell me, tell me how you found 
like, I guess was, did you find Twitch first? Did you find rando first and then get into Twitch? Take me through that process. There is a long meandering story to this that all right, I'm, I'm we, here we for could, it. I was going to say we could spend the rest of our time today talking about just this one thread because realistically it all weaves into this link to the past randomizer team of, of friends that I am on that I think we'd probably get to okay. eventually anyway, because the summer of I want to say 2007 at college, um, I decided I would I would room with uh, one of my magic playing buddies, uh, whom we will just call Maximum Barnage. Oh, okay. And Maximum so Barnage, Barnage comes in. All right. Yeah, Maximum Barnage, um, good friend of mine. Uh, you know, went to college with him, and we were rooming together. And he, when growing up, didn't have a Super Nintendo, and so he had played Sega games, hadn't played Super Nintendo games, and I was like. Dude, these were central to my childhood. You are going to love these games. Like, I, I made a list for him. I was like, you have to play Super Metroid. You have to play Chrono Trigger. Like, ideally Final Fantasy three or Earthbound or Final Fantasy six. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What, what we want to call it, but like all these <laughs> old cartridges I've got, Link to the Past, right? And so I'm going to put these in the living room of our apartment and like. This is your summer homework, basically. <laughs> like, please yeah. play these things. Uh, the Wii was new, so I was going through like Metroid Prime Three on that. That was my af- after work thing. His was just jamming some Super Nintendo games. And I get home one day from work, and he's like, "I started playing Super Metroid, and I'm I got stuck and like I can't progress." And so I told him about the new bridge and about the dash button. And he was off. Oh. He was stuck at the new bridge, uh, which is you, you need you don't need the dash button until that point in the game, and then you need to press dash to make right. it across some crumbling blocks for anyone who's not super Metroid hyper literate. Um, <laughs> but you know that was that was the catalyst, and he was off and running with Super Metroid. And so I think like the very next day, I got home from work, and he's like, "I beat Super Metroid." And also, you need to watch this thing. And I was like, where are we going with this? He's like, you're going to watch this video, and then we're going to race this. Oh. And I was like, all right. So he queues <laughs> up on, on YouTube at the time, to- uh, or whatever it was at the time, or maybe we downloaded it from Speed Demo's archive. Uh, Red Scarlet, um, twitch.tv slash Boletta, uh, still streams. I, I was so happy to hear about, you know, Boletta still streaming, but Red Scarlet's uh, seven segment Super Metroid 100% world record in 55 minutes IGT. Okay. And because everything was in game timing, it was segmented. Um, yeah. There, there was no RTA at the time. Um, so we, we watched and we learned that route and we would sit there and we'd put, you know, two TVs side by side and we would put two Super Metroids side by side and we would just race. <laughs> And this is what we That's did in like awesome. 2007, 2008. And so, so you, were, you were speed running when speed running was very like new or very, very young. Niche. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I wish we'd had some way to record. Right. But like, we didn't want to buy the hardware to record to VHS tape. Like, yeah, the, the capture cards weren't a thing. Like you, it, the setups right. were very exotic and kind of difficult to get. So we would just, you know, lug a, a CRT to some, to the other person's dorm room and sit down and race. And mm-hmm. so 
he got the better of me by the by the end of our, our series. Uh, I'd gotten down to an hour and eight in game time and he'd gotten down to an hour and seven in game time. Wow. But that was that was my first experience in in sort of speed running and and where, you know, the Super Nintendo enjoyment turned into a, a competitive space for me in, in racing. Sure. And it got it got set down for a while. And then in 2016, I, I kind of came back to it. And mm-hmm. by then, you know, there were capture cards. There was Twitch. There was a lot of wild things that had been discovered in Super Metroid and other video games over those years. Um, so if you ever can watch that um, Red Scarlet World Record video, they don't know about wraparound shots yet where you can shoot off and hit a door from the other side of the screen. Um, they, do, they don't know about super missile collision off screen, thing, things like that that you use to get into, say, the, the item at Spore Spawn. Yeah, um, yeah. So the way that the game was played at that point was actually you basically routed your health and ammo in such a way that you would crystal flash inside that tunnel to get a force stand so you could shoot the super missile block and roll in to get the spore spawn item on your on your Brinstar revisit. Wow. Okay. And so it was. I didn't. I, I didn't know a force stand was a thing. So yeah. I'm, so I'm learning. When, when, I'm learning when you do here. a crystal flash, you start as a morph ball, and then it forces you into a crouching position from which you can fire ammo. Okay. And so that was how you would get through that super missile block there, rather than fight spore spawn back in the day. I'm glad they found an easier way to yeah. do that room. <laughs> but so when I came back in 2016, like my mind was blown with all the tech that people had come up with over, you know, what, six, seven years. Yeah. And so then I, I started streaming it and trying to grind down my hundred percent time. And then, you know, early 2017, I got an SD to SNES, started playing super Metro randomizer and, then over the the summer of 2017, got into a link to the past randomizer because my uh, buddy Ninjembro came to visit me for SGDQ week, and we just hung out and watched a bunch of SGDQ. And I taught him some Super Metroid rando. He taught me some link to the past rando, and okay. that that was kind of my first experience with uh, ALTTPR. At that point, was was uh, during SGDQ 2017. Gotcha. So SMR or SM Rando mm-hmm. was yeah. the, the first thing you came into. Now I'm, I, I've been told now my history on this is not very strong. So I've heard there's been like three or maybe four different main versions of super Metroid Rando. I could be wrong on that. I know Desirect had one mm-hmm. you know, and he also was the one who started with ALTTPR. And then uh, I know dash is like the new hotness is like the newest thing right now for SM Rando. Which like what was and I know Total had one too. Mm-hmm. So like there's at least three. What was what was your intro? I guess so, uh, which one of those? I think the first seeds I ever did were were Desi seeds, which was okay. the I think that was a 2014 uh, build of, of the Super Metroid Rando. And then um, you know the first tournament was held community wide in 2017, and that was based off of Total's Rando with. Uh, what's referred to as a major minor item placement algorithm. So there are 34 locations that include all your suits and tanks and beams and movement items and things. And then the other uh, 66 locations of items, there's 100 items in total, are all of your your ammo, your missiles, your power bombs, your super missiles. And um, that was a really popular mode through 2017 was sort of the the 
code base uh, off of which Total built the SMZ3 Rando in early 2018. Uh, but those were sort of the main two when I started. And then after that, um, I would say Varia was the one that became popular. Uh, I think from season two okay. of, of the Super Metroid Randomizer League, that was a very popular thing. And that's a pretty customizable um, set, set up for the Rando. And it does some things really well. And then there's some things that I'm not wild about, but it's very, very customizable. And okay. then Dash is uh, Kip and Mass Hysteria's project. I think they're they're the main two that are working on that. And that's sort of its own sort of re-envisioning of what if we're a little looser about item functionality and map requirements and things. And they're they're you know coding new items into the game and things like that oh. to try and really diversify pathing. But and it's like, still randomized as well, I assume. It's, it's still randomized, yeah. It's, it's a variant on Super Metroid Randomizer. Uh, okay. But it's it's sort of taken the, uh, you know, the leash off a little bit and allowed to explore a little bit more in, in the space of what's possible in Super Metroid Rando. I know uh, Mass Hysteria especially has put a lot into figuring out how to make some of these these various implementations work and and create new items and things like that. So... I would say that isn't so much a main um, evolution of, of Super Metroid Rando so much as a sure. complementary thing to Varia uh, Rando, which occupies a huge part of the Super Metroid Rando space. And then Totals mm -hmm. has mostly been, I won't say unmaintained, but just hasn't been developed progressively as much. Total, I think, has put a lot more into SMZ3 uh, sure. over the past several years. Which is good because SMZ three yeah. I like. Uh, oh, I, I did I love play it. some played some SM SM Rando. I'm very bad at it. I learned <laughs> how bad I am at Super Metroid execution. Uh, not just by playing the speedrun, but by doing that. So, uh, if, if you think you can bleed time easy in Link to the Past, just be inexperienced and play Super Metroid, and you will see what bleeding time is like almost in real time, <laughs> side yeah. by side. Yeah. Every, every room in Super Metroid can feel like trying to on the fly figure out how to do the Ice Palace bomb jump. Yeah, for sure. Like it there you can lose 30 70 seconds easily in in rooms in Super Metroid. Yeah. By I thought you were not, say minutes and just, I was going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean also that um I mean <laughs> so there are races that I can look back at and I'm like I lost an hour and 20 minutes to not knowing that strat. Yeah, <laughs> in in SMZ it's three, crazy. like I because it. I checked all the other locations and then I went back to X Ray. <laughs> yeah, and there was my go mode. But you know, <laughs> that's that sort of has has influenced my rando philosophy. Was I, I did a lot of SMZ three when it first came out because I'd played a link to the past rando and Super Metroid rando. So when SMZ three Alpha seeds came out, like I was I was on it. So I, I remember gotcha. the first few seeds were like. If you went to Ice Palace Overworld, the game crashed. If you went to oh. Misery Mire Overworld, the game crashed. So the only way to beat the seed was to like clip into GT. <laughs> That's wild. And so uh, there, there were some wild moments in, in the alpha seeds of, of SMZ3, but it was, it was a blast. And um, having 316 locations instead of 216 really shaped how I approach Rando in the sense of it only takes one seed to get super punished for not knowing a strat that would have let you get an item right? for you to say, I better go learn that. Right. 
Like yeah, yeah. I can simplify what my go mode looks like by skipping this item. So I don't have to go hunt 150 locations looking for a one-off. Right. And so I've always prioritized learning things kind of through that lens. So I probably learned things like, you know, mimic clipping or hovering or things like that, that just straight up skip items, mm-hmm. maybe more aggressively than a lot of players would have, but it's because I was on, you know, 153 pace in SMZ three during a weekly at one point, And then oh. I didn't mimic clip. Oh, and I, no. I, I said, I'm going to have to figure this out on the fly. And I, you know, lost quote unquote SMZ three world record to not being prepared to mimic clip. <laughs> and like, that's hilarious to me, but like, I feel like I was rightly punished in that, in that situation. Like that's, I still don't have a sub two in SMZ three uh, solo in, in uh, I guess seven, seven, four or whatever the, right. the flag sets called now. I mean, I still, you know, you don't have a sub two, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's two games. And on top of that, <laughs> I mean, you, last I checked, you're pretty good at it. You know, you, you did get second at SGL, uh, for, for SMZ three, at yeah. least the, the one in 2022. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some credit there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not terrible at it. Um, I'm definitely better at a link to the past now than I am at, at super Metroid. So I, I empathize with the stance that you've taken where super Metroid is hard Um, most people are terrible at Super Metroid and it's very easy to lose time everywhere. And Super Metroid Rando players are crazy. Some of the stuff that they've started to main is like the strats that they just want to go for every race. I want, I want no part of that. (laughs) I'm in discords. They're talking about underwater wall jumps. And I'm like, that's like a multiple frame tight thing. Like, absolutely not. No, thank you. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not about that. So I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, let's shift gears to a link to the past now, because mm-hmm. I I remembered you, or at least I thought I did, as an older player in the community, and maybe you were around. But I tried to find you in like old main tournaments on challenge, mm-hmm. old like the Key Sanity tournament. I didn't see your name anywhere. So <laughs> when, like you said, you picked up ALTTPR for the first time in 2017. When did you start, I guess, like getting into the competitive scene? 2017. Oh, okay. So, okay, well now I I guess I'm just, maybe I'm looking in the wrong spot. (laughs) Yeah, there's a great story. And I'll, I'll, you know, let the audience peer behind the curtain a little bit here and say that, you know, this is one of those things that I, I said we could get into where you said, you know, if you want me to delete some things or cut around some stuff, we, we, we might (laughs) get there. We might get there. But um, I started in 2017. I, I tried to qualify for, I don't know if it was a main tournament or what it was called. There was a tournament in fall 2017. Um, okay. I started doing my first rando seeds timed really then for that tournament. I signed up for it and then I started doing seeds. And right. so I qualified for, I think it was called the secondary tournament that yeah. time around. The precursor and to the challenge cup. This it was exactly. No thanks today. And then I did the 2018 spring Swiss tournament, the, the old five twelve. Oh yeah. The big mistake as I like to call it. The the, the Willard (laughs) on the phone with challenge tournament, um, where you would see how late into Monday it got before you got your pairings. Yeah. And, um, it, it was wild. Um, I, I, I think I played against 
like three of of you know the people that I'm close to in rando in that tournament in that Swiss, despite it being 512 people. Like wow. it was, it was kind of a wild experience. Um, I think I, I raced against um, Azure in in five different tournaments that year, in like Holy the Swiss cow. stages. And I didn't do a ton of tournaments. Like there weren't a ton of tournaments. It wasn't like now where there's just this litany of tournaments back to back to back. But it was like right. Super Metroid Rando and SMZ3 and another SMZ3 and a Link to the Past Rando. And then like a normal Super Metroid multi-category tournament or something. Like every tournament I raced in, um, there, there was Azure. <laughs> and I, I think he went like 4-1 against me that year. <laughs> wow. But you got the, you got the one. Yeah, I did get one uh, because he was ahead of me and then uh, died in GT Classic to Mother Brain. Oh, dang. So he would have gone 5-0, I think. But either way, I did the um, the 512 Swiss. And um, with the 512 Swiss, there were a bunch of things that happened there. And it was sort of at the same time as SMZ3 was coming out. And, okay. you know, I, I know that the, uh, the old... I guess you, you've had um, Act the Boker on for one of these oh, yeah. these chats. So like, yeah, we know. Like, I, I, I kind of get the idea of what we may be getting into. Yeah. Like back in 2018, there there was uh, not just smoke. There there was like seemed to be a lot of cheaters in the yeah. community, and that, that really time. really frustrated me. I okay. and there weren't as nearly as many cheaters in Super Metroid or in or in SMZ3 especially because frankly it's a lot easier to cheat at a link to the past rando and look passable at it because it's not as hard of a game to execute at, at the baseline level, right? The skill sure. floor is a little bit lower. So you can, you know, as long as you can move link around and kind of competently function with items, you can get through most of the seeds. And so, you know, if you're cheating by reading a spoiler log or something or having a friend play or whatever it is that people are doing, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to, do that and succeed if there are not people actively removing cheaters from the community. Sure. And to enjoy some amount of success in that space. And with ALTTPR also being a a bigger and more hyped game, there was just way too much of that. And so the reason you didn't see anything from me between 2018 and 2021 is I hard noped out uh, basically at the end of that 512. Um, gotcha. I got, I got through the Swiss. I don't know if I even made it into brackets or what the yield to brackets was. I probably didn't make it. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the things that did happen was SMZ three co-op. I was teaming with Solsky at the time. And so I watched, you know, my SMZ three teammate get wildly scummed in, in yeah. races and for the community reaction to that, to be to censure the person who was calling out the nonsense and not to remove the cheater. And I said, you know what? That's bullshit. And I'm done with this game. That's fair. (laughs) And so I said, I'm going to do SMZ three. So I played SMZ three very, very actively, basically multiple weeklies a week. And I mean, those weeklies aren't short. They're like a three hour race. Right. Um, I was probably doing way back then. (laughs) Yeah. I was probably doing three or four SMZ three seeds a week for the better part of three years and didn't come back to LTTPR until uh, league. And I think right before that, the cross keys tournament in 2021 was sort of the the first reintroduction of, of me to LTTPR because I just said, you know what? They got 
they got cheaters over there <laughs> and I want no part of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame I, you. I, I wanted nothing to do with whatever was going on. And so I was uh, at Ninjembro's place and he was telling me about ladder and about league. And first he, he told me about league and how there was an invitational one and an open one. And I was like, okay, so you're in the invitational one, right? He's like, nah, man, I'm in the open one. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> but dude, <laughs> But you're good. <laughs> but you're like pretty competent at this game. He's like, yeah, man, I, I just don't like I don't have a team. And I, was, he was like, you should come back and play. I was like, you need to promise me that they've done something about the cheating. <laughs> and like he he promised me, he's like, they've done something. They've they've gotten more serious about the cheating, especially like they ladder outsourced and it to the players. They, to, well, to <laughs> they outsourced it to Dunka. <laughs> Is what they did. Well, that too, yeah. And and Dunka isn't taking anyone's shit, and he's just removing people. That's true. And I was like, that's what needed to happen in spring 2018 to retain people who were going to be assets to the community. Sure. And so I'll 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 come back. I'll I'll give it a shake because Ninjembro, I need to carry your dead weight to this Invitational League, <laughs> so that you you know aren't playing in an open league anymore. Because that's that's nonsense, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so then, you know, we had two people. And so I was like, okay, what other geriatric gamer can I call up for for oh, we're a link to the, the past randomizer? Let's go. Exactly. So I get on the phone and I know Barnage had had retired from ALTTPR. I'm like, hey, Barnage, I bet you're gonna say no, but can I convince you to play some competitive randomizer? <laughs> That's too good. And so, uh, you know, we we decided to put a team together and and try to carry Ninjembro out of out of open league, and and we were successful in that endeavor. But we yeah, had enough. Say like you. We had enough fun. Looking at your record, yeah. um, You guys won the whole thing in open league. Uh, you know, not just not just made the invitational uh, with the top four, but mm-hmm. did win the whole league that year. Yeah, which was sweet. Um, that, that was a really fun experience. And honestly, open league's tough. Like there's, there's no like walk in the park. People think open league is like secondary to invitational and skill and things. And, you know, there's a lot of teams of newer or less known players, but there, there's some gamers down there, man. Like they're, they're, they're in there and they're gaming. And so, you know, we, we thought preseason, you know, just because I'd been very active in SMZ3, that there was a reasonable chance that we might just get the call up to Invitational League. And we didn't. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, OK, well, we, we better, you know, try our best to to succeed in this. I think, honestly, in, in Drossy would probably be the person who knows this. Like he could probably find the moment mm-hmm. we were talking about it. But I remember you guys names coming across like in the discussion of who we can call up and how many slots we have and I want to say you guys were on the cusp and it was just like, well, I think it, it might have been Barnage. I'm not sure. I don't want to throw I don't want to throw shade. Like I just I, I mean, I, I can't honestly nail it down. But it was kind of like there was some unknown that we didn't feel like at the time would be like an asset to Invitational. Clearly, we were wrong because, you know, you guys win. And then also, like, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but season five in Invitational, not only do you play well, you make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So like top four, I mean, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've had a, a good run and I'll, I'll say, especially in Invitational, maybe we, we had a really good season. Maybe we overperformed a little bit. 
Um, I, I always thought dialed in. I mean, both, both my teammates are great. Um, Barnagen and Jembro. Oh yeah. Um, I always thought that we were right on that like playoff bubble where like we might miss some seasons. We might make it in, um, maybe make it one round deep in the playoffs, maybe not type of thing. I, I didn't think we were really poised to put together a run to like contend for invitational championships. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even open league, the promotion was not a given. Um, like all the teams Definitely that are not. in playoffs in open league are real good. And we were, I think three seconds and Kaido Rukawa going to GT with six crystals um, from not making invitational, not earning promotion that first season. Wow. Um, Kaido climbed and went to Six Crystal GT before Eastern or something. And Ninjember had done like an extra empty pendant pod or something that had cost him a bunch of time. Gotcha. And so Ninjember was ahead. It was swordless in playoffs. It was a game five situation. And Ninjember was ahead into Aga, but had like a disaster hammer Aga or something. Because <laughs> that, that happens. I mean, that happens. And yeah. Kaido was like dialed in on Swordless. And so he, he picked the mode and um, played great. But just Ninjember was able to squeak it out by like three seconds. And that was that was That's what incredible. finally secured the, the promotion there. But I mean, making playoffs in that we, we felt like we had a really good shot at making playoffs with the work we were putting in and then whether we were going to be able to earn promotion was literally close to a coin flip. Like, cause mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. It's hard to win consistently at randomizer. And yeah, I mean, you, we're playing a game that's randomized. It's not like, yeah. here's, here's the items. Well, you know, we do that in spoiler, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Which was a mode in, in that, in that league in that season. Yeah. So we did get to uh, do some spoiler. Maybe we get to see it again someday. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. Um, that, that is TVD, and that is outside the scope of certainly what I can <laughs> I can talk uh, competently about or knowledgeably about. But um, so I want to ask you you you've played with your bros, uh, so to speak, here at ALTTPR League. Uh, I know that you were a part of a team called Muscle Club for the <laughs> SMR League, uh, which was you, Andy, and Solsky. Yeah. Uh, how as as an outsider looking in i literally i did commentary one time this is a very selfish selfish question by the way um i did commentary one time uh as a like a promise to a friend uh bressingham okay uh in playoffs so i i commentated what i called uh super metroid casual boots which i think was like chozo rando or something okay yeah um what was your experience? Like, cause I, cause I know nothing about the modes. Like I know that dash mode is in there. Mm-hmm. What was like, what, what do you enjoy more? <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot with that. ALTTPR league or super Metroid rando league. Uh, and maybe you can't even compare them. Maybe I'm talking apples yeah. and oranges here. I mean, th- they are wildly different experiences. Um, ALTTPR league feels like it goes on for so much longer. Um, it feels like there's just, a lot more going on <laughs> with LTTPR league. It, it, it grinds, man. It, it drags and it's, it's a blast. Um, I mean, Ninjembro is a guy that I've known for gosh, 22 years, 21 years now. Wow. So more than yeah. half of my life. Barnage is someone I've known for, you know, 16 years at this point, 17 years. Mm hmm. I mean, I've met Solsky and Andy in person at SGL. 
I've, I've known them in online spaces for, for numerous years, had a lot of good conversations with them, but um, there, there's very little that's going to line up exactly like playing with like close personal friends. Like I was yeah. a groomsman at Barnage's wedding. So that's, like, that's also awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much, um, you know, that you're going to be able to do to, to top that. And so, I mean, being on a team with, with close personal friends, um, is such a different experience because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, we, we all are kind of similarly calibrated. We all really want to win. We're all trying our best to, to help each other improve. We're all looking at it slightly differently. Like Ninjembro, I've never met someone more adamantly refused to learn tech than Ninjembro. <laughs> and, and Barnage is like the exact opposite. Barnage will like sit down and, and grind out tech that like, and I'm kind of like, I'll, it's my mic time, so I'll, I'll say I'm the Goldilocks in that, right? Like, I'm in the okay. sweet spot where, like, I'll learn the new stuff, but I'm not, like, grinding it as, as hard. But, no, I think Barnage does a lot of really good work. And Ninjembro's obviously got, got things that work for him. And so we all have kind of very different philosophies about how to incorporate new things into our into our game and when and how we practice and everything, how hard we're interested in grinding. But uh, we all mm-hmm. kind of come with a similar, you know, there to try to win, going to try our best and hope it works out and do make a good faith effort to, to do our best and put good results up and yeah. care, care about the result. But at the end of the day, like, you know, it's chilling with friends and the SMR league muscle club is, is a lot of the same thing. Um, it's just, there's not, you know, years and years of report. Yeah, you don't there. have 20 years of connection. Yeah, like, exactly. So yeah, my my like, first time, you know, interacting with Solsky was really, you know, 2017. Mm-hmm. So we got like six years of, you know, right. of hanging out and chilling and, and chatting and shooting the shit online, which is great. It's just there's a huge, huge disparity there. Yeah. See, I knew that. So like in talking to you tonight, like I knew that you and Njimbro and Barnage all knew each other like IRL. Like I, I learned that. But the fact that it goes that far back is I didn't know it was like that. That's pretty <laughs> awesome because I, 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 I'll probably just I guess I'll risk and say it like I don't think there's another team in any of ALTTPR league that has what you guys have uh, like that bond, I guess we'll call it because like I, I, you know, I've always told people like, you know, the first team I was on, you know, for like the first four seasons or three or four seasons. It was like we were just three people looking for a team and we became really good friends in the process of being on the team. But having friends like honestly, even if we were bad at it, I would totally love to like my IRL friends from for years. I'd love to play this with them. I actually tried to get them to play this <laughs> and they they played one seed and we're like, that was a fun experience. I'll probably never do this again. And then I'm like, OK, well, we try. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, Barnage and I, you know, in our team Discord, we're just chatting this afternoon about, like, different Magic the Gathering things and strategies and yeah. builds of decks. And so, like, it's it's cool to be interacting on, on a team with people that, you know, you have that much context with. I was just messaging Ninjembro about, you know, different beers I was buying because we both really like different craft beers. And um, Barnage, yeah. Barnage does as well. So, you know, there's a bunch of channels in that discord that are the various components of hobby or interest overlap that you know, yeah it i would say yeah probably not all teams have that or not many teams have that i'm not trying to like 
set us apart or like make us other or special or anything. But yeah, that's at the same time. I I don't think that it's highly probable. Um, It's, it's a weird inclination space to have people that are, you know, somewhat disparate walks of life have known each other for a long time. um, But then all kind of have come together or in this rando environment independently and have kind of learned to enjoy it independently to, to build a, a cohesive team. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of people sure. I know from you know the pre-rando times who are now in that space, um, mm-hmm. and and there's new people joining it all the time actually, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, Zero Rush, for instance, is um, a a good friend of mine in Ninjembros, or you know, more of a good acquaintance of mine. But like we've we've hung out a good deal over the over yeah. the years, and also a very That's very cool. good rhythm gamer. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. Yeah. So interesting. But he, he would there's, kick, there's so many people apparently that play rhythm games in some way, shape, or form. Hmm? But you know, we, we we play Zelda here. We don't we don't talk about rhythm games here. It's like Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> the, the rhythm games help the Zelda in in some capacity. I mean, I'm I'm relying on audio cues for a lot of my boss fights. Yeah, same. Honestly, yeah. when when I play NMG, I, I people are like, I'm like, man, I'm so tired of the vanilla music. And they're like, just listen to other music. And I'm like, then I can't hear. Yeah. When landmo's popping out of the ground, like what yeah. am I supposed to do? I, I have no idea when that landmole is coming or when Armos is going to start moving like they're shaking. But I don't know how long they're going to shake. I just know when the music <laughs> is. <laughs> I know sure. when I press Y. <laughs> and sometimes I press Y 13 times, as, as Zach will often remind me. <laughs> <laughs> But God, that was good. Yeah. I mean, big, big ups to, to the two of you doing commentary at SGL. I, that was hilarious. That was one of, one of the, the highlights that weekend because I was, I had, I was having a little bit of regret signing up for that. We had just had a huge <laughs> meal and like, we were like, okay, let's have, let's have a few drinks and then we'll do commentary. And I was like, oh my God, this race starts at midnight. I am so tired. <laughs> and the race was just so entertaining. It was such a blast. And like, <laughs> you know, you guys were great. So yeah. it, it was, I, I love that race so much. Yeah. I mean, Andy and I were both deliriously tired at that point. Had, yeah. I, I think we'd both done like three races between ALTTPR and SMZ3 that day. And like, yeah. that was the only time we, it was it was ridiculous. It was I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was certainly a lot. <laughs> it yeah, was, it was a sure. lot of fun too. I unfortunately don't think I'll be able to make SGL this year, but I, I will oh, do no. my best. I will well, do my I'll, best. I'll hope that we get to see you there. Um, I do want to ask this really quick. So I've noticed that you have been mentoring quite a bit in the currently ongoing uh, mentor tournament for go mode podcast. How, how's that experience been for you? Have you had any like feel good moments in that so far? Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've been having a blast. I I did a lot of mentoring last year too. Um, Mm -hmm. basically every year since I've come back to rando, right. I came back fall 21. So I missed that year's mentor tournament. I came back Mm -hmm. for league, but 22 and 23 I've been mentoring because a big part of what I enjoy about streaming and putting content out there about games is, so I, I work as an educator and that part of my personality is a large part of what I like to bring into this hobbyist space. Yeah. And so being able to work as, as a mentor in a hobby space like this, um, it, it overlaps a lot of 
things that I'm personally and professionally passionate about with, you know, games that I love playing. And I, I like other people being good at games, right? My, my philosophy is I want everyone to be as good as, well, in my mind, I'll say as they can. And then to be polite, I'll say as they want to be, um, yeah, out loud because I want people to achieve what they want within these games and to work as hard as they want to get where they want to be. And I want to be a, a facilitator of that for anyone who really wants to learn and wants to better themselves in a space. Right. And that's something that I've always really cared about. I've, you know, going back to teaching people how to play magic or teaching people how to play any video game. Um, Twitch has provided a platform for that. And so I really enjoy answering people's questions. And so when I found out about the mentor tournament, it was a slam dunk for me. I was just like, that, that is the bee's knees and I got to be part of it. And so I was really happy to, to be able to qualify basically to be a mentor and to be viewed as of sufficient competency such that people would listen to my opinions and respect them as, <laughs> as reasonable. Um, but I've, I've had yeah. a blast with it, like just leveraging that. I mean, even when I just stream a race, I try to articulate a lot about what I'm doing and why. And mm -hmm. I think that the educator part of me is, you know, very core to who I am. And the mentor tournament's a really great platform that I find fulfilling for that part of what I like about rando. Cause I'm doing a right. lot more of that than I am of actual rando racing right now. Yeah. Like I've, I've mentored a few people and I've kind of talked about that some, but it's like when, when it's like, okay, here's the situation. I, I'm not an educator uh, as yourself, but when people say, okay, I need you to teach me this. I'm kind of like, okay, how the heck do I do this? <laughs> and like my brain just goes dead for a second and I have to like actually think it out if I'm playing like, and I've noticed this, I can talk and teach people better if I'm just playing it, even if they're not watching me. So when I'm talking to them, I've got the practice hack open and I'm doing it. And then I talk through it as I do it. And it's so much easier, uh, for, for me. So, um, I, I would, I would fail miserably in, in your line of work as far as like being an educator, just because it's like, okay, you know, turn in your textbook to, to whatever. Well, um, what do you teach? Can, is that, is that something you'd, you'd be willing to share? I want to, I want to know how smart you are. <laughs> I, I mean, it will oversell how smart I am to talk about what I teach. Cause I, I teach chemical engineering that that's what my PhD is in. And that's what I like doing, but it's not that hard. I promise. It's like anything else, much like rando, in that if you do it day in and day out for a long period of time and you put effort into getting better at it, you're going to be better, right? That's the, that's the educator. That's the growth mindset part of this. That's, that's me channeling my inner Carol Dweck to talk about, you know, metacognition and really. That's a healthy mindset. Yeah, the, like, the healthy growth that's mindset. That's a very healthy mindset. But like, I, I think that that's true of rando, anyone you know, within reason, like there are people with physical limitations that, you know, maybe they'll never hover, but like, sure. You know, that's, that's fine. Maybe they'll hover on a dance pad someday. Oh God. <laughs> <sighs> I don't ever want to do that again, <laughs> but no, really, um, that I, I really do as an educator believe in people's potential to achieve the things they want. And I find fulfillment personally, in seeing people achieve those things. So there've been so many fulfilling moments um, in, in the mentor tournament. I'm, I'm working with a lot of 
really great gamers uh, this time around. Uh, people with legitimate, very good chops at Super Metroid Rando coming from um, one of the, oh, yeah, there the are sub a lot communities. Of, There's a lot of Super Metroid folks. Rando people. Basically, when the Mentor Tournament was announced, there was, they, they've sort of been casually racing LTTPR in that Discord for a while. And I was like, hey, guys, Mentor Tournament. I will, <laughs> I will do some heavy lifting here, but y'all got to sign up. And a lot of them said, yeah, you know what? I'm in. So we've got, you know, uh, Glove, Mr. Guy Average, Eden, um, Dasser. There's a whole bunch of people from this one Discord that are all mentees this year. That's um, awesome. Exact Science. And I've worked with or will work with a good number of them. And then there's a number of other people who, who've reached out and I've gotten to you know, talk to them as well. I'm not just like restricting myself to Super Metroid pros here in mentoring. Um, but I got Kip to do the mentor tournament last year just because he's like, I want to be able to do some SMZ3. I want to know yeah. what it's about. So if I watch ALTTPR, I understand it better. And, you know, I think he got out of it what he wanted to get out of it, which was just a calibration about how to understand ALTTPR and a baseline for if he ever really wants to jump into SMZ3 what it's going to take or what that's going to look like to, to start that process. Right. And so, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. The te- what, what people want to take obviously is, is up mm-hmm. to them. Um, you know, we see, we see people come from, you know, mentor tournament and then go very far, like in the main tournament or in league. Oh yeah. So um, then there's just people who, I guess, like win this, we'll say the mentor tournament, you know, and that's, that's not the goal really with the mentor tournament, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's a fun byproduct. But then like they just kind of, you know, disappear or, you know, in one unfortunate instance, but you know, get outed as a cheater under an alt name later on. So, um, man, that, that one might predate me or that, uh, I, I, not predate me, but I was going to say that was during my hiatus when I was upset about the number of cheaters in the community. So, yeah, we didn't we didn't know at the time, and then it didn't appear to be that. Oh, and then there was yeah, uh, that's, an instance where they disappeared, came back in an alt, and yeah, that is it's a whole that is unfortunate <laughs> and not in the spirit of of the mentor tournament at all. I I've really enjoyed all the races I've mentored. Um, you know, shout outs to uh, Hawk Five Nine, uh, who's on an open league team. I think with someone I mentored a good bit last year. Uh, Mr. Angry Pants. I think they're on the same yeah. team. I think it's smells like Troll Seed. I think is their name, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. right. Was was what they're going with for season five. But either way, right. um, was working with Hawk, and he just said, "Hey, I want to try and push myself." And so when opportunities came up to push himself, he was like, "I don't think I'm playing, you know, quite on the edge of my comfort zone." And with with a mentor, you know, I'd like to be kind of talked through some of those executional things. And we didn't win this race, but we we basically had the things we needed to do Aga accepting the lamp. We had a fire rod. We had full dark world access in terms of we didn't have any gloves, but we had the hook shot and the flippers and a hammer right. and a pearl. And so we had a lot of stuff available with a fire rod. And we went in, we did like six heart dark aggo with a fighter sword and <laughs> we got through it and we got to West dark world and we found our hammer and we found a glove and we were, you know, pumping the fist thinking, man, we, we skipped like lamp on, um, 
on Zora or something like one of like four locations. It was like 40 to four, the location imbalance. Cause you open right. dark world with flips hook and um, it becomes huge pearl. And it's, it's enormous. All the things you have access to and fire rod. So we had all skull woods. Thieves was beatable. Like it was everything. So we find a hammer and a glove and we're, we're real, real happy. And uh, then we got our mitts on ether tablet. <laughs> Oh, and no. it looked a lot less good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, always uh, yeah. yank the rug out from under you. Yeah, we, we were sure that we were skipping around the lamp. We were sure we were just going to be finding it like a Guinness cave or something. And um, there was there was our mitts on on ether tab did not win that one. But like there was a lot of achieving that happened. I think yeah. I think he did. He did Dark Aga. We did Fire Rod Dark Aga tutorial on the fly. He got through it swimmingly. I think we did a seven heart fighter sword swamp like wow like went through some tough dark world dungeons on like seven eight hearts green mail we did like pod swamp skull woods and thieves on pretty low loadout and mm-hmm. you know, i was just really proud of the way that you know a lot of the mentees are pushing themselves in these environments and are just saying you know what it you know it's not about winning it's about learning and it's about you know getting myself set up so that I am ready for this the next time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in, in wrapping up things a little bit, I like to ask people three questions. Uh, and, uh, maybe you have an answer to these. Maybe you don't. (laughs) Um, but, uh, first, what's your most embarrassing moment in rando? And it can be, if it's, if it's SM instead of ALTTPR, we'll accept that. But, uh, anything you're willing to disclose, that you can look back and maybe laugh on. Oh man, it's, it's hard. It's hard to pick just one, right? Cause I've been doing this for <laughs> sure. know, six or six or so years. Um, there's a lot of dumb things I've done over the years. So, but I, I wouldn't think that the most embarrassing thing is any one singular dumb thing. Um, Cause you're just going to do every dumb thing under the sun over, you know, a thousand sure. or so seeds. A, a big part of improving at rando in my eyes, at least as I experience it, is doing the dumb, every dumb thing once. Mm-hmm. Right, finding yourself in that situation and making the wrong call at least once. Um, so I could talk about the time in Super Metroid Rando League playoffs against, I believe it was Ponk at the time, who was notably better than me um, in at that time. Uh, going into Lower Norfair with one set of power bombs and getting bailed out by a second set of power bombs at Power Bombs of Shame and being able to okay. escape Rid- Ridley when I shouldn't have been able to. I should have soft locked <laughs> at Ridley. And um, I still lost that race. Thankfully, I didn't need to, you know, discredit my own win. Um, Punk played great, but like luck bagging into that was pretty, pretty shameful. I was like, man, that, that was. As soon as I realized what I'd done, I was like, I feel pretty embarrassed for my my play now, and I'm not going <laughs> to win this race. But the thing that really you know embarrasses me is when I I fall short of what I would like to be as a as a community member, right? So when I don't live up to my standards, and I think that's a large part of why I'm not doing as much rando racing right now, mm-hmm. because I have been a salty asshole a lot lately. <laughs> and I don't like it, right? And so Fair. I've decided, you know, I'm if I'm not winning at the rate, like I've gotten clobbered in every single tournament lately. Like I failed, I failed to make it out of groups in main tournament for the second year in a row, got 
you know, carried through it like one and two in Kazboot's Inv by Telethar, <laughs> like not on my own <laughs> merits. Like there, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I've I've done lately that just hasn't been great uh, for me performance wise. I just haven't played up to my standards. Um, dropped games that I'm not happy about in you know 80 keys tournament. I, I did scrape through for brackets there, so I'm happy about that. We'll see how that goes, but I. The winning hasn't felt great and the losing has felt terrible. And when you yeah. you reach that balance, it's time to take a step back. Yeah, and you want to reevaluate a little bit at yeah, that point, potentially. I'm jamming ladder races, right? And if I'm winning 55% of them and I don't care, and I'm losing 45% of them and I'm incredibly pissed off when I finish, right? That, mm-hmm. that affect and carrying that through the race or beyond the race, even um, those are the things that I'm, you know, I'm not proud of in terms of how I've um, handled myself in randomizer. And, you know, there's a bunch of instances of people blowing up and things. And I, I, you know, it's not something that is unique to me, but it's something that, you know, it's not a, you know, a space that I'm proud to occupy. <laughs> Sure. Uh, that's understandable. And so instead I've just been saying, you know, if I'm, if I'm really feeling terrible, I'm not thinking I'm playing very well. I need to go back and I, I need to get fundamentally better at the game. So I've just been doing a lot more NMG because I figure if I'm terrible, at least I can beat me and I've yeah. got this old PB. And so like, you know, there's no reason to be salty about losing to me, you know, right. I'm going to lose to me a lot. I'm only as good as I am, but I can work at improving. And I, I do believe, you know, just like I believe in mentee's ability to grow and learn, I believe in my own ability to grow and learn. And so I've been putting a lot of right. work into NMG, trying to hopefully get my gaming performance in randomizer back in line with, with my expectations. And so that I can feel happy about the races that I play. Yeah. That, that's, that's a really good way to look at it. Like one thing I've tried to draw a comparison to like this game is just so robust about like every little thing that can go wrong, even in the vanilla, for example, like there's no randomization there. There's nothing that's like a huge gotcha. I say there's no randomization. Obviously we know blue balls or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. That aside, like we, we see Calta or Eddie as people know him, uh, Aerie being mm-hmm. like top two, as far as like execution, you and I, w- we play, we play rhythm games in rhythm <laughs> games. There's a 100% score, right? Mm-hmm. I, I still feel like that we maybe not, you know, in, in the grand scheme of a link to the past, maybe we haven't even seen like a 98%, you know, like these runs that are just like so yeah. great. They're so rare. I feel like even then, like they're not a hundred percent. We know they're not a hundred percent because we see people, some of bests, you yeah. know, and they're like in the one twenty ones. So there's room that could be there theoretically. Um, so Have there's you a, like, like you were saying, there's always there's always room to improve. Have you seen the the gross new Potter out? Because it's marvelous. I have. I'm I'm very scared to. I love it. I mean, I like it. I mean, I, it involves hovering. I'm like, all right, let's do yeah, it. I'll, exactly. I'll give it a shot. I, I'll have um, a blast with that. But I love that it exists. <laughs> yeah. It, when I when I was hearing this being theory crafted in in a Discord, I was just kind of mm-hmm. like. This is so cursed. And there was multiple people who were just like, no, do not make this a thing. Yeah. Uh, so I can't wait for people to get comfortable with it 
And then we see like somebody come out of agate with zero blue balls and they're ahead and they're like, all right, time to bust out this meme route. That's going to save me what four to six seconds or something like that. Yeah. Five or six seconds. I think, um, I, Ari, um, you know, whom I, I got to meet at SGL and I, I just haven't interacted as much with, with Eddie or, or Kauta. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can't speak to, to his expertise or experience with the game, but Ari has been nothing but great to interact with has answered all of my questions. And I've, I've spent a lot of time chatting with him as I've gotten back to NMG at all and right. just been like, Hey, how do I, how do I handle this situation? Or do you have a backup for like, what to do in Castle Tower 3, the fairy skip room, when you don't have beans. Uh, because mm-hmm. the triple dash strat from FMG is cursed and I can't do it. <laughs> and Ari's <laughs> like, yeah, I have a great backup. Let me record it for you. And so he's been you know, great. But I've seen him go for this, this hover pod route. And I, I love that it's there. Um, I love seeing <laughs> the creativity that people are bringing to this 30-year-old video game. And still discovering new ways to path it and new ways to exploit it. And I, I was actually really excited to see what new meta shakeups might develop with uh, Spexy statue. And right. I, I'm really sad, honestly, that the community has chosen to move in a way away from that. Because I think there's so much potential in interesting routes that could open up with that. Mm-hmm. And interesting meta calls about balancing pendant dips that we haven't seen a shakeup like that since Icebreaker. And right. I, I was really excited to see what energy that would bring. And I, I can say mm-hmm. from me, I voted yes. I, I wanted it. Yeah. I was like, okay, I was, I was the old boomer in yeah. the Icebreaker vote. I was like, <laughs> we're not doing this. This is stupid. And Diver Down, that's stupid. And then I said, you know, maybe, maybe this, this is what's going to happen. Like, let's let it happen. And then when it didn't, I was I was honestly a little surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then, of course, I had to make that announcement. So then I'm just like, OK, I feel I feel solely responsible <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know your name's on it and I, I know your heart's not in it. <laughs> but well, it's like I but yeah. here's the thing, like I will in that regard. Uh, with that responsibility, mm-hmm. I will always trust the the group th- yeah. that everyone has the community's best interest in mind. Now, I've heard that. You know, people have been doing races with it. I think that's a very healthy thing. Like mm-hmm. if, if you want to play with an alternate rule set, I think that's awesome because it's going to make, I don't know, it's going to make those opportunities still appear. Uh, so just like whatever the default is, that's, that's what we say. But like, mm-hmm. you, I don't care. Go play, play how you want to. I don't, if yeah. you want to start overworld glitching in a casual boot seat, go for it. Uh, yeah. Just make sure everybody knows. <laughs> it's, it's really weird to me that OWG rule set does not allow that. I know it's an underworld clip and, you know, yeah. NMG underworld, but like that is bonkers. <laughs> yeah. For like sure. you can already go into swamp. It just simplifies swamp. Um, exactly. But all right. So we, we rabbit trail, which is fine. Yeah. I love that. It was, it was, that's good. Um, second question that I ask. So do you have a favorite MSU pack or do you use them? I, I don't use MSUs. Um, that said, I do use Ichigo as an avatar on Discord. And um, as part of Muscle Club, I did commission a buff Ichigo sprite for for a Samus replacement. And so my favorite MSU pack would definitely have to be the the Katamari uh, MSU pack because that that music is wonky and quirky and wild. And when I... 
as um, you know, when I was in college, Katamari Damashi came out mm-hmm. and someone just mentioned in passing, have you seen the garbage ball rolling game? And I'm like, the what? <laughs> you roll a <laughs> sticky ball of garbage around the world and it gets bigger and it picks up bigger stuff. And I was like, I, I got to try whatever the hell this is. So I got it. And like, it's a really quirky, timed, optimized puzzle game. And it's it's wild. And then um, they came out with a sequel to it. And the sequel fixed a lot of the bad physics and like added more quirky stuff. And it's even more wild. And Ichigo is <laughs> one of the the cousins out of out of that game that, you know, coming from a, a part of the country that grows a lot of strawberries. Um, I, I was drawn to the strawberry cousin. And yeah. um, I, I've sort of taken that as, as an avatar. So that would be my favorite MSU. But I, I can't game ALTTP without the vanilla audio. Okay, that's fair. I, I respect it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that, right, that's so my last, favorite MSU. <laughs> all right, perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm about that. Um, and lastly, uh, if, if you had to lose all your gaming memories, but you were allowed to keep one of them, which one would you keep and why? Oh, man. I know it's hard (laughs) all like gaming, not just rando, right? Not just rando gaming memories. Like if you had to lose everything and there was like something that sticks out that you want to like, I want to hold on to this. Oh man. So I'm thinking like, is it a a big achievement where I've personally accomplished something or where I've seen other people do great things? Whatever's important to you. I I think it's it's your answer. Yeah. I think I have to circle back to just, you know, and, and this is the wholesome answer, right? Spending time with, with my family as a child on, on super Metroid and like mapping out and exploring that game and that, that set of core memories mm-hmm. that has kept super Nintendo gaming. So nostalgic for me over the years. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to go with that, but there's, you can't pick just one man. It, it, oh, I know. You're, you're, you're opening like the Pringles can of memories here. The whole yeah, tube's gone. I'm eating them all. Yeah, the tube just like falls out. And yeah, it's like you have to pick and I'm one just chip. shoveling them into my mouth as fast as I can to to save them all because <laughs> that. I mean, gaming has been such a core part of my life mm-hmm. that you know I I don't know. I would be a vastly different person, uh, but for the yeah. experiences I have had in you know video games and the gaming sphere in general. That's that's awesome. I, I, I like that answer. Um, like I, I, I t- hearing your story, you know, over the last almost two hours. I'm sorry we've <laughs> gone so long. I, I told you an hour and here nah, we are. Dude, I'm, I'm um, here as long as you want me to be here chatting. I'm here chatting. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been great. It hasn't felt like this long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hearing I, I kind of hearing your story at the start with the family, with the Super Nintendo and and then hearing how it all build, you know, was building up and then seeing you playing retro games. Now I, I kind of was like, I kind of feel like this is going to be his answer. Like, I feel like we've already heard this, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to ask him. I want, I want him to state it. So I think that's great. Well, um, anything, is there anything like, I know your Twitch, I think, which is twitch.tv slash maniacal 42. Uh, is there anything else that you, you want to plug anything you got going on? You want people to be on the lookout for no, n- not really. Um, I I try and keep a pretty limited presence in terms of, of gaming, and I keep it mostly localized to Twitch. 
this is a hobby and it's it's not where I, I go to, you know, make my money. It's it's not a space sure. that I want to become that. It's a space that I want to be a hobbyist expression and, a, you know, a labor of love in that sense where I bring to it what I want to put into it as as an educator and as, as a gamer. And so, you know, I don't have a billion other avenues for people to follow, but if someone wants to reach yeah. me, that's a good place to do it. Uh, Discord's a good place to do it. And I'm in numerous ALTTP and ALTTPR-centric discords and Super Metroid-centric discords. And so I would say those are the spots. Awesome. Well, Maniacal, thanks, man. This has been awesome. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, th- I just, I, th- there's so much to unpack with you. And I feel like, I feel like we've only really uh, touched like the tip of the iceberg uh, as much as we've gone through. Yeah, I, I agree, Dante. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, reaching out and inviting me to join you for a conversation. It's, it's absolutely, you know, an honor to be featured in a space like this that I enjoy consuming as well as a listener. Um, I've, I value these like little slice of life conversations that we're having to gain insight into, you know, who the humans are behind our frustrations when we lose races. Um, it <laughs> helps to humanize the people on the other side of, of the screen. And I mean, like we don't see a lot of salt at SGL, right? Because you're, you're looking that human in the face and you're just like, you know, I got my ass beat by Relkin and he's really happy that he beat me. And that's yeah. great. <laughs> and so you just, it's easier to high five. Yeah, exactly. I think the only salt we really see at SGL is usually like on the meet when people go to Fogo or, uh, <laughs> or you know, Texas Day Brazil or whatever. So yeah, the, the meat sweats are real, the, the salt less so. But, you know, I, I think that this really helps with that angle of things. And I, I love that I've been able to, you know, come on and have a conversation. I appreciate the invite. I mean, it was a pleasure. My pleasure uh, having you on. This has been fantastic. So uh, this has been Maniacal on the Spoiler Log. Again, huge thanks to Maniacal for coming on today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Next week, we're going to have Ricky of Kikiri. Hope you guys will tune in for that one. Should be a blast. Had a great time with Ricky. Again, I'm still working on a few things. We're going to have some things coming soon. I have a lot planned. And um, yeah, stick around. It's going to be great, I think, in the next few weeks here. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time.